bunch of dudes carrying a coffin. That's how the entire world feels to me right now. What about you? How are you feeling out there, ladies and gents, listeners and listenettes? I am feeling extraordinarily depressed about the state of the world. I'm not going to lie to you. I, uh, I can't even believe how insane the news has gotten. So let's hop right in. I wanted to start by talking about the Deutsche Bank story that has to do with Epstein, our favorite pedophile. A lot of you heard over the past week or so that the judge that was presiding over the uh, Deutsche Bank case, she ordered $150 million worth of penalties against Deutsche Bank for essentially doing loans to Jeffrey Epstein and covering up a bunch of kind of shady transactions, which were almost certainly tied to his pedophile, you know, operation, his sale of children. Um, pretty about as dark as it gets. And last week, that judge was attacked by a man um, named Hollander. And the story gets so crazy, so just bear with me. He shows up at her house in a FedEx outfit. Uh, doors answered by her 20-year-old son, college student. He shoots him dead. Then he shoots the father, uh, who's in critical condition, but it looks like he's going to survive. She's not even home at the time. But allegedly, Hollander, who is this uh, hardcore men's rights activist and has been on Opie and Anthony and very, very odd character, um, but he's got a little bit of notoriety, so it's even weirder. Anyways, he had a he had a case in front of her a few years prior, and apparently he asked her out, and she rejected him, and that's their entire plot line for like why he had a vendetta adequate enough to go and kill her. So they're they're painting him as this like this misogynist that would want to kill her for whatever reason, right? But then he goes to the house in a FedEx outfit and he kills her son and her husband. Or almost kills the husband? I, none of that adds up to me. Um, so, <laughs> you do the math on your own. I don't know. But uh, then there's this other guy named Bowers, who was a loan officer for Deutsche Bank. And two years ago, uh, it was, he's a loan officer for, for Deutsche Bank, for, and he's like a buddy with Epstein. He's the one who signs off on all of his loans. He kills himself about a year and a half ago. So we now have essentially three deaths all surrounding Deutsche Bank and Jeffrey Epstein. And everyone's just like, okay, sure, plausible, makes sense. I, no, I'm not okay with it. Uh, I don't understand why no one's covering it. Uh, I'm not even exaggerating. I, 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 it requires major searching on my part. It feels like the, the news stories are being... Um, like downvoted or shadow banned almost. And all the news stories were like the day of, maybe the day after. There's no there's no follow-up. It's I know that we're in a very uh you know, twenty four hour news cycle where everything just kinda gets buried and then the new the new topic du jour takes over. But this is such a huge story and there's no coverage. There's no continuing coverage. There's no one diving deeper. There's no follow up. Everyone's just like ah guy was a misogynist. Obviously, he killed two men. Makes sense. Misogynists in their man-killing ways. 
Uh, <laughs> anyways, I I just I fi- I figured that I'd shed a little bit more light on that because I know a lot of people heard about the judge, but they they weren't aware of the loan officer that worked with Epstein also killing himself a year ago. You just you start to you know I know it sounds very conspiratorial to say oh you start to add you know connect the dots, but connect the dots, just connect them. It's pretty obvious. They're covering up his inner, his business operation. That's what's happening. And I don't know how you could see it any other way. Honestly, I don't. Similar story in terms of conspiracy-minded stuff. New York City, a co-founder for a Bangladeshi rideshare app called Pathau was found dead in his uh, multi-million dollar apartment by his sister. And he was 33 years old. He was decapitated and dismembered and he's this multi-million dollar tech ceo in new york in his own apartment and they believed that the only reason that they found his body was because his sister unexpectedly stopped by so he was almost certainly taken out in the hit um but before the the hitman was allowed to you know put his now compartmentalized body into a suitcase or whatever he was able to, uh, he wasn't able to get the body out of there. So his poor, poor sister walked in on the dismembered corpse of her brother. And this has no relation to Epstein. More, more so I'm just pointing out that it's New York city and it's a high profile murder. And it just seems like this is what, this is what happens. This is like at, at the highest level of finance in this country, there is just a capacity for murder that doesn't get covered. And that that's the thing that bothers me the most. It's not that it happens, which is disturbing. I mean, obviously, I it's sad. But the fact that it's not covered by anybody, and while we have, you know, a thousand different shows that are about wives that fall off of cruise ships and the most mundane sort of uh, spousal homicides get their own documentaries made about them but then these like multi-million dollar guys get chopped up into pieces in the most gruesome way possible something that would be totally riveting that you would absolutely be able to make a movie out of a documentary uh certainly news stories i have to go to zero hedge to find out about it you know it's like what the hell is this well why is this why are these stories not being covered in the same kind of grotesque fashion that they cover every other sort of um, spousal homicide. It's just doesn't add up, you know? And he's a really handsome guy, by the way. So would have made a compelling story on multiple fronts. It just, just one more to add to the list of what the hell is our media actually doing for us? Wanted to briefly talk about the Portland Antifa rally. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the federal, the federal troops are on the ground there that are dealing with the now multiple months worth of protests uh, following the George Floyd murder by police. And it's now carried on into its own bastardized version of that same protest, which is no longer really about Black Lives Matter, but they'll chant it. So I guess we could give it the credit it's due in that regard. Um, I've had people upset with me on both ends of the spectrum for this that you know, I'm not supporting the protesters, or I'm not uh, I'm not coming out aggressively enough against the federal troops that have been put on the ground. Um, I I 
part ways a little bit from Eric July on this topic. He said, you know, the stormtroopers and the communists are not our friends. So why would we take a side here? You know, let your enemies destroy themselves. It's hard to disagree with that fundamentally. um, But I do believe that the allowing the precedent to be set that federal troops can be deployed for this kind of a weak reason, you know, this isn't, this isn't a uh, door-to-door mob that's killing people left and right. As far as I know, there's only been, you know, minor injuries for the most part in Portland. So to have federal troops deployed for an unruly mob that isn't killing anybody seems like a, a massive overreach in my opinion. And more importantly, it sets a precedent, which I think anyone with a brain can identify. Do you want, say you like Trump, do you want Joe Biden having this capacity? Do you want President Ocasio-Cortez having this capacity? Having this precedent? Uh, No, not me. I certainly don't. And I think if you're being fair about it, you should come to the same conclusion, you know. This, these laws, these precedents will be utilized to pursue us eventually. And anytime you think that, you know, I'm going to get off easy, I'm going to, I'm going to just, we're just going to allow it this one time, you know, we're just going to allow Trump to send in stormtroopers to take out the commies because we hate the commies, which we do. I agree. But where does it lead? It leads to President Ocasio-Cortez sending in the troops to take out Liberty Lockdown. And you guys don't want that, do you? No, of course you don't. I don't want to record from prison, even though that would make for a great episode. And speaking of precedent, the great Ron Paul said back in 2002, when the Department of Homeland Security was created, by the way, it was created bipartisan under the same guise of the Patriot Act after 9-11. And the great Ron Paul, prescient as ever, knew exactly what to warn us of, and he was right. He said, and I quote, The Homeland Security Department, like all federal agencies, will increase in size exponentially over the coming decades. Oh, brief interlude here. The troops, the stormtroopers that I kept referencing that Trump has deployed to Portland are from DHS, Department of Homeland Security. They are allegedly there just to protect federal buildings. As far as I know, that is what they're doing. But they did do some snatch and grabs of people where they didn't identify themselves on video. That's being investigated. There's a lot of information that's, you know, it's rumor mill stuff at this point. So I'm not coming out too definitively on this because I just don't know uh, how egregious the constitutional missteps they've made have been. But it doesn't look good at first glance. That's my back of the envelope calculation here. So back to the quote from Ron Paul said its budget, number of employees, and the scope of its mission will expand. Congress has no idea what it will have created 20 or 50 years hence. Jesus, it's 18 years hence at this point, so he nailed that one. When less popular presidents have the full power of a domestic spying agency at their disposal. Hello, Donald Trump. The frightening details of the Homeland Security Bill, which authorize an unprecedented level of warrantless spying on American citizens, are still emerging. Those who still care about the Bill of Rights, particularly the Fourth Amendment, have every reason to be alarmed. But the process by which Congress created the bill is every bit as reprehensible as its contents. Of course, the Homeland Security Bill did receive some opposition from the president's critics, yet did they attack the legislation because it threatens to debase the Fourth Amendment and create an Orwellian surveillance society? Did they attack it because 
it will chill political dissent or expand the drug war? No. They attacked it on the grounds that it failed to secure enough high-paying federal union jobs, thus angering one of Washington's most powerful special interest groups. Ultimately, however, even the most prominent critics voted for the bill. End quote. Man, despicable. Un- unbelievably despicable. And obviously the Fourth Amendment protects us from illegal searches and seizure. So, um, Ron Paul nailed it, as always. This guy, his crystal ball is batting a thousand. And no one listened. Well, we did, but in terms of people that could actually make a difference, no one listened, no one heeded his warnings. Whether or not they heard him, they believed him, they didn't believe him, I don't know, you know. I tend to think that much of this is done out of ignorance, but there's there's some that's done out of malice. Some of these people are truly authoritarian, you know. They have the fascist tendencies that lead them to make decisions that are contrary to the principles held within the Bill of Rights because they don't believe in it. They believe in security over freedom. They believe in power over our freedom for damn sure. And I think this is yet further evidence that the government is out of control. It's too powerful. It's completely not held back by the Bill of Rights at this juncture. It is unruly and it needs to be dismantled as fast as possible. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I I personally believe that the laws passed in the aftermath of 9-11, primarily 2001 and 2002, reauthorized periodically ever since, are the most unconstitutional, the most anti-freedom, anti-liberty policies that have ever occurred in my lifetime, at, at the very least, if not in the history of our country. I mean, Obviously, there has been greater atrocities wrought by our government. Internment camps come to mind. Um, Tuskegee experiments. There's there's lots of evil, evil things that the government has done. But in terms of actual above-board policy affecting all of us, I think that the Patriot Act, the TSA, DHS, that entire sick jobs program is in my opinion, the worst thing that our government has done in my life. And, you know, that's selfish because I'm focusing on the stuff that's affected me. It's impacted me. It could be argued that the second war in Iraq is worse. I won't won't fight you on that debate. Sure. I mean, there's more lives lost, so I hear you. But in terms of the, the longevity of this country, the capacity for sustained freedom... I don't think there's anything more detrimental than the Patriot Act. The NSA, the TSA, DHS, it basically rid us of all of our human rights, all of the Bill of Rights. It's just like free speech gone. Uh, They're already going after the Second Amendment, even though it wasn't really attacked in the Patriot Act, but certainly the Fourth Amendment was shredded, just shredded. And not surprising, it was done under the uh, pretense of safety and security because we were scared. And what's happening right now to tie it all together? We're scared again. We're being propagandized again. And will we give them power again? TBD. But if I had to place a wager, I'd say almost certainly we will. And that's what my show is here for, is to... You know, try and get the message out as far and wide as possible that 
there is an alternative to the hellscape that we are headed towards or that we are living in now with these lockdowns and this insanity. It's not that I don't believe the virus doesn't exist. It's not that I believe that no one's dying. I'm not an idiot. This is about bigger things than that. When you're when you're willing to look past not just the potential for death and destruction modern day. I'm talking about past our entire lives, you know. The future of freedom for humanity rides on the next few years of decisions. I really believe that. And it's I'm not talking about, you know, voting. I'm not talking about presidential elections. It's irrelevant. Trump or Biden is going to lead us down a damn, damn similar path. I really believe that. You can, you can argue that Trump is more outside of the, uh, the power circles, so he, he might throw us a few extra breadcrumbs. But at the end of the day, we're on our own, folks. We have to rely on each other, rely on ourselves, get better. That's what my show has been about since its inception. I've already given you some good tips. wanted to update you on that as well. I've been referencing silver and buying metals to uh, try and hedge against the inevitable inflation that's coming from the multi-trillion dollar printing press exercises that our Fed is now implementing. And guess what? Since I started my show, silver has doubled in value. Doubled. Went from $18, I'm talking physical, not, not paper contracts. $18, give or take, for an ounce of silver and a coin is now 36 today. Straight up doubled in three months. Record increase, as far as I'm aware of. Certainly over the past, you know, since the 80s. So I hope you guys listened. I hope you guys bought some. Um, gold has had a similar run. It hasn't gone up quite as as dramatically, but I believe it's up 400 an ounce which is probably off the, you know, back of the envelope, like 30% gain. And then today alone, Bitcoin jumped $2,000 a coin. So that was a about a 24% increase. So, man, between the three, which are three of the things that I've been telling you to, to look at buying to diversify your portfolio to try and hedge against whatever the hell comes next, um, they have already paid major dividends. So... I hope some of you did that. If you did, leave me a five-star review as payment. I'm just kidding. And to reiterate why I said gold, silver, eventually real estate will all be good investments or investment vehicles for you. Check this out. The top volatility events over the past um, year, July 15th, Bank of Japan meeting, July 16th, ECB meeting. That's the European Central Bank. July 17th, EU Council, July 29th, FOMC meeting, that's the Federal Open Market Committee, July 31st, Congress uh, session ends, new fiscal stimulus required, so August 1st, Biden announces VP running mate tentatively, August 7th, payroll uh, figures are dropped, August 17th, the DNC convention, August 24th, the RNC convention, these are, oh, let me explain real quick, volatility events just means that the market was either dramatically up or down, so these are the the biggest up or down movements for a day in the stock market. To continue with that list, uh, August 27th, Fed uh, Jackson Hole meeting. September 4th, payroll for August is dropped. 
September 6th, Hong Kong elections, September 16th, FOMC meeting, September 19th, G7 meeting, September 29th, first presidential debate, October 2nd, payroll, uh, November 3rd, U.S. election, and November 5th, FOMC meeting. So that amounts to all, but I would say maybe one, are central bank activity or politics that will directly affect central bank policy. And the reason I bring this up is to to prove to you definitively we don't function in a capitalist society anymore. This is a sure quasi-capitalist society, but ultimately it is a fed funded rally. Our market exists and floats across a sea of printed fiat currency. Fundamentals be damned. It's really not the point anymore. This is about what the Fed will do. It will pick the winners. It will pick the losers. That's what the, that's what the market is telling us, loud and clear. And as long as the Fed is putting in the backdrop to the market, it's going to continue to run. I mean, not forever. We, we've talked about the bang moment where... You know, you can continue to push and you can push and you can push, but eventually you print enough money and people start to question the value of the U.S. dollar. And as of now, it's begun. The first two months of my show, I I shockingly talked about this. Like, I can't believe that the dollar is still strong in the face of all this printing. We've just announced trillions and trillions of printing exercises and up until the second round, and I think it's an interesting point to bring up. It was the second round when they started to talk about the second stimulus package, you know, because we had that that first one where it was, uh, you know, two trillion dollars. All of us got twelve hundred bucks plus unemployment. Got a six hundred dollars spiff per week from the feds. Well, interestingly, until the second package was being discussed, which happened beginning of last week. There was no real upward momentum. It was mild, but very mild in silver, gold, bit, Bitcoin, crypto. Um, all those markets were relatively flat. Like they were just kind of waiting to see what happens. And in hindsight, it now makes a lot of sense. They were waiting to see, is this a one-off? Are, are we truly doing away with fiscal sanity? Are we going to actually have a policy of printing trillions of dollars every time the market drops? Well, Based off of the early rumor mill that we are going to extend unemployment benefits, we're going to have another God knows how many trillion dollar bill passed. Um, clearly, the market believes that this is a sign that we are going full helicopter money. And helicopter money just means that the printing presses are going to continue to fly and money printer will go burr until, you know, everyone that's in, in Wall Street gets out ahead and everyone on Main Street ends up in breadlines. And I that's I know it sounds hyperbolic, but the more I I follow this stuff and I, this I'm not a rookie to this at all, folks. I've been doing I've been in finance for 20 years, give or take, and I've been, you know, I've ran my own mortgage lending company for 8 and this is as bad as I've ever seen it and it's not close. I mean, I went through the 09 crash. It was super dark days. It was super grim. This is so, I mean, that was that was a laugh riot in comparison. I had a blast in 09 compared to what I'm experiencing this year. 
And the pain hasn't even hit yet, you know? The unemployment checks haven't stopped yet. And they will eventually stop. Either they, either they will or the value of the dollar will drop so precipitously that it won't matter what they're giving us. Either way, the pain will be felt deeply and soon. And that's why I continue to bring up these stories. Uh, uh, it's not that I'm like, it's not confirmation bias. I'm not trying to prove myself to you. I'm trying to drive it home that, that regardless of the, the temporary sense of security that you have, it's not real. It's almost the same thing as putting on a mask to stop the virus. It's not real, folks. It's security theater. It's the same thing as going through TSA and having some overweight Walmart employee pat you down. It ain't real. 90% of the weapons get through. You're not any safer getting onto a plane today than you were on September 10th, 2001. You're just not. And you're not any safer because you wear a mask or you don't. You really aren't. We're talking about a virus. We're not... You're not getting an N95 that's fit perfectly to stop all, all particles from getting into your mask. And, and how many of you are wearing a different mask every day or every, every time you put it on and take it off? You're not. You're wearing the same sick, disgusting mask. You're grabbing the front of it with your hands and you're throwing it on, your, on the floor of your, your car. <laughs> you know, like this is not, you're, or you're throwing it in your purse if you're a lady and you're pulling it out and you're throwing it on your face again. It's not sanitary. It's not keeping you safe. You know it, I know it. Most people don't. This is the same thing. The same sense of security that you get from the mask is the same sense of security that you should have for when the Fed tells you everything's all right. That we're going we're gonna to write as much blank checks as necessary to maintain this bullshit economy. It ain't going to work. It's just a matter of time. You can be Sweden or you can be, you know, the U.S., or whoever had the most severe lockdown. I don't even know who had the most severe lockdown. Probably New York City with the most deaths, mind you. It's a joke. And that brings me to a recap of what we've experienced so far. And as we all know, um, in terms of the riots at least, it began under the pretense of the George Floyd murder in Minneapolis. What, what a lot of people don't know is that the riots were not contained to Minneapolis. In terms of news coverage... I'd say 90% of the coverage was dedicated to Minneapolis and obviously now Portland. But in the interim, there was a lot of other rioting that got very, very minimal coverage. And there's, I believe there's been a couple dozen deaths throughout all of this. Um, a lot of them not police involved. So it's kind of a hot civil war at this point, as Sin pointed out today on Twitter. Um, but I personally know that there was some violence and some burning of uh, a bank got burned a few other properties got burned in El Cajon San Diego uh, that's my hometown so I know it firsthand Atlantic City New Jersey had smaller riots Fort Wayne Indiana had some riots Green Bay Wisconsin Olympia Washington and then Chicago Los Angeles and obviously Minnesota or Minneapolis um, so the the protests themselves were were very widespread in, in a way that as far as I've read and researched, has never occurred before. You know, there's been riots historically, particularly in the civil rights movement in the 60s, and periodically before and after that as well. But in terms of a, a seemingly orchestrated um, mass riot across the country, there was also riots in, in other parts of the world. This seems like something different. And 
we're starting to get a little bit of insight as to why. And I'm not going to downplay it and say that this is exclusively a, a Chinese operation because obviously there's some real emotion behind these protests. So please do not take what I'm about to say as discounting the real emotion because I am not. However, we have found out today that the Chinese had, uh, I think in it was an embassy or some, some sort of operation in Texas, also in San Francisco, there was known spies that were working in our colleges. Now, as far as I know, they were there trying to steal uh, medical device information and medical uh, study information. However, recently, over the past week, there's been thousands of these um, packages marked as jewelry that have been just showing up at people's residences throughout the Midwest. And uh, now even in Minnesota, I heard today, there's some as well. And there, I think it's like a dozen states or something have had these packages show up marked as jewelry and they contain seeds, some food seeds of some sort. We don't know. And it's as Chinese writing and it just says jewelry on the, on the package, but it comes from, you know, China and people aren't ordering these things. They're just showing up at their houses. So this seems like a continued expensive, mind you, a very expensive operation to be just sipping, shipping seeds to people. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to jump to any crazy conclusions because I don't know anything at this point, but there's major money going into that. That's not an accident that just happens, guys. Come on. You don't send thousands and thousands of parcels uh, through the mail of seeds and pay all that shipping cost for no reason at all. It just doesn't happen. So just my two cents on the, on the matter. They're marked jewelry probably because the, uh, I don't know if it's FDA or if it's uh, customs enforcement, but I'm, I'm certain that they have, with international shipments, they have some semblance of a package search mechanism where they, they go, okay, this is jewelry. We don't need to search it. Uh, okay. This is agricultural products. We need to search that because they have rules and regulations and things that, that keep certain uh, produce and animals and seeds and things like that out of our market because they are, you know, predatory. They will screw up our ecosystem. I don't agree with the government being involved in it. Don't write it. Don't write me. Don't tweet at me. Don't DM me. But I'm just saying, that's why it was marked jewelry, because they didn't want that to happen. They didn't want them to stop those packages. They wanted them to arrive at people's doorsteps. Why? Why would that happen? I'm not sure. Uh, if I had to guess, they could be, you know, there's, there's some seeds that are genetically modified and patented by big boy companies like Monsanto and whatnot. They've been renamed now, but whatever, you know who I'm talking about. And they make it so that farmers uh, get sued if they plant these GMO seeds. Could be that. Uh, could be invasive species that are going to be used to kill off crops. Could just be a shot across the bow. It could just be letting the higher ups in our, in our government know, Hey, we could do this anytime. We just sent thousands of packages into your country that your people are now planting in the ground. We could do whatever we want to you. We're just letting you know. Just letting you know, hey, 
you know how you keep uh, upping the tariffs on us and keep talking talking all this ish about your uh, your trade policy and uh, our mo- our monetary manipulation well you do it too yeah well just so you know we can uh, we can fuck you up too huh bud I'm just saying there's there's a lot there's a lot of potential explanations for why this is happening and it's not being talked about in the media as always they're not they're not if they're going to hypothesize about anything it's going to be about why white people are somehow responsible for these chinese seeds showing up at everyone's doorsteps it's not white people this time folks i know shocking sometimes other people do bad things and this is one of them i'll follow up i'll uh, continue to cover that story because i think it's a really important one um but it kind of just falls in line with the continued issue i'm having with this seemingly Marxist war that we're experiencing, culture war mainly, but perhaps a hot war eventually. And the reason I bring all that up is to to draw the comparison to the Black Lives Matter rallies slash riots that occurred simultaneously in multiple areas. There is now rumors at this juncture that there is some sort of mailers or financing or funding that has gone into the Black Lives Matters rally, Black Lives Matter rallies uh, that is being propagated by the CCP. And I know I'm starting to sound like a guy who finds China everywhere in every news story, but you connect enough dots and you start to say to yourself, okay, yeah, I think there might be a full-fledged operation, a full-fledged war attack against us. And that's how I feel about it. So I'm not going to run away from it just because it makes me sound nuts. Because I think it's the truth. And that's all I'm ever going to tell you when I'm on this show, is I'm going to tell you the truth. I think that we are in a cold war with China, and it's and it's lukewarm. It's in the microwave. And I'm going to continue to cover the stories that I think show either, hopefully, a de-escalation of, of these attacks. But whatever it shows, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you if I see an increase or a decrease or a uh, fight back on our side. I don't know. You know, I don't know where this heads. I'm very concerned about it because they're two nuclear powers. I'm very concerned about it because ultimately this is a battle about currencies. In my opinion, it's largely about that. China has been under our thumb because of the power of the United States dollar in global trade. And they pay a huge price for that. And they were okay paying that price because we were willing to buy all their products, which was essentially dragging their agrarian society into an industrial one. And it was a fair trade. You know, that's that's the mutually beneficial aspect of free trade. That they were able to provide our products that we wanted with cheaper labor than we could possibly make ourselves. And as such, we had a huge trade deficit, but that was okay with us because we got cheap products. And they got a little bit of rice, you know, they got to eat, which was a struggle prior to having these types of policies of kind of quasi-capitalism. That wager has paid off for them, but because we now have a guy like Trump in power who's willing to stand up to him, it's not going to be smooth sailing from here on out. And they see it. And I think that part of this is just reciprocation where they're saying, oh, you want to you wanna throw tariffs at us? Well, check out these seeds, bruh. What do you think now? You know? <laughs> a 
But also, it's a longer-term plan that I'm I'm fairly confident they've had in the works since at least the 90s, if not the 80s or, or even earlier, but certainly since the 90s. And this is kind of the, I wouldn't say the final phase, but step three of four maybe, where they try and become the reserve currency of the world. They become the... Uh, at least the trade hub for the world. They want to, they want to take our seat. You know, they have a billion people and they have as much land as us and they have as much resources as us and they have as much military might as us. You know, they, they want their seat at the table and the Chinese don't operate, you know, like some other countries do. They want the whole seat. They want the whole table. You know, they want to build it and they want to sit at it. And I don't think they're going to stop until they have it. Honestly. Um, you guys know how anti-war I am. This is not a call to arms. I am not trying to go down that path. I hope that we can find some sort of amicable, peaceful coexistence with the Chinese at this point. Uh, I think it's our only hope that we find a hopeful, peaceful, amicable coexistence. Because I don't think either country can can win a hot war. Not with nuclear weapons. I mean, that's that's world-ending. So, God willing, it doesn't go that direction. And that, that brings me back to the craziest story of the craziest month, perhaps, of my entire life. But they essentially announced that aliens exist and have visited us. And no one cares. Because this year is so fucking nuts. My God. How crazy of a year have we had where they can announce that... Uh, okay, so the story is, the New York Times is working... The New York Times, the paper of record, da-da-da-da is working on a multi-authored story where they have interviewed people that have worked at very high levels of the CIA and secret bases, whatever, whatever. And this astrophysicist or some sort of scientist went on the record saying that he knows for a fact that they have vehicles in their possession of alien origin. Alien vehicles not of this earth, created elsewhere. And he's on the record, not a quack. And ap- apparently the story is going to be announced uh, or, or is actually going to be published in the next week. I can't wait to hear what they have to say. But the reason that it, it drew me to this story is because, I mean, the, the obvious craziest connection to all of this is that as we're on the brink of nuclear war, potentially with China and America, you have all these stories that have come out recently that the unidentified UFOs have been rumored to go and hover over our nuclear silos and be able to shut off our nuclear capacity. Gives me chills just just thinking about it. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if it's a sign that they're here to protect us from ourselves i don't know if it's a sign to say hey you really can't fuck with us we can kill you whenever we want your weapons don't mean anything to us we can disarm them there's no point in fighting resistance is futile it could they could be going that route um it could mean that they are our creator and that they're here to uh to basically like be the daddy in the in the house to to keep the kids from from fighting and blowing up the house i don't know i don't know what it means but uh, all that combined into the craziest month of stories I have ever seen in my entire life. And this is while we're locked in our houses and, you know, 
50 million people are unemployed thanks to the government. And I didn't even talk about that. <laughs> I didn't even talk about that on this show, essentially, because this month has been so freaking crazy. My God. So I, for one, welcome our alien overlords. We need you desperately. At this point, I think it's our only hope. And I'm only being mildly sarcastic. I mean, it, if you think that Joe Biden or Donald Trump is the solution to the problems that we are experiencing right now, oh, God, I wish I could do whatever drugs you're on, man. I really do. Because I would love to feel that way. I would love to feel that Donald Trump or Joe Biden could fix the disaster that we are all experiencing together right now. I think aliens are our best hope. I'm not even being sarcastic this time. I honestly think that aliens are our best hope of avoiding nuclear war or uh, a Chinese takeover of the entire global economy. Um, <laughs> I mean, please tweet at me, write me, tell me, tell me that there's something uh, a better alternative than aliens or the Chinese taking over. Cause I can't think of it. Cause Joe Biden and Trump ain't it. And you know that. All right. Thanks so much for listening guys. Uh, I will be back next week as always. Leave a five-star review on iTunes, and I will give you a shout-out on the very next show. Love you so much. Check you next week. We out. Peace.